All right, ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzlecast, welcome to Bizzlecast 61, uh, part one of a two-part sports podcast I did with my uh, wingman, second-in-command, and good buddy, Maddie G, a.k.a. Goose. In this first part, we talk about the Olympics, but some of the side stories like the Ryan Lochte affair, but more importantly, we, we argue winter versus summer. I'm a winter guy, Matt's a summer guy. Um, although we have sports that we like in both of them, we highlight a number of athletes, especially a pair of female athletes, um, Ms. Simone and Ms. Ledecky, um, which Matt will talk about. And then I do a short interview with him at the end. And the point five version of this podcast that will be released either at the same time or shortly thereafter, uh, we cover a whole range of topics, including, you know, racial issues in sports, demographic issues, you know, the overinflated value perhaps of some of the professional sports out there. And are they peaking too soon? And the rise of soccer in comparison. You know, which Matt and I disagree a little bit. I think it is going to become one of the most, if not the most popular sport in this country within a couple decades. Um, and we'll talk about that. Talk about short and baseball. We talk about all the weird, you know, criminal and just other bizarre affairs in the NFL and what the hell is going on with that league. Um, and we talk about youth sports and what kids are into. So enjoy this first part. A little bit of non-traditional Olympics wrap up, and then check out sixty-one point five to uh, to hear about our our views about you know racism in sports and race and uh, and where that's heading in terms of diversity. So I welcome you to Maddie Goisman Bizzlecast sixty-one. All right, Bizzlecast listeners, welcome to Bizzlecast sixty-one. This is the Bizzlecast Sports Podcast, or the second one, I should say, but the first one since the very beginning, and I'm bringing in my number two and sports reporter and expert, Matty G, a.k.a. Goose Matt. We've been trying to do this for a while. We have. I'm so glad we finally able, were able excuse me, to, uh, to find a time to get it done. This is certainly a topic that matters a little bit more to me in part because for once we're going to be talking about actual real people doing real things as opposed to made up people doing made up things so yeah i mean our first podcast together bizzlecast 30 we didn't know each other that well we established in like the first minute that you like you know comic book nerd stuff and sports and i remember just being like oh my god i'm gonna end up loving this guy and we never <laughs> we, which and that happened but we never ended up revisiting sports i'm sure you haven't listened to bizzlecast 3 it's way back in the day but i, I it was my sports podcast and uh it was told just totally solo and it was um a lot talking about the changing culture and the changing landscape around sports stuff we're going to talk about today um you know at that time the bill simmons thing was still you know going on the ray rice thing was still going on um and so i addressed i addressed those topics today uh we're going to definitely uh talk about the olympics which just ended and sort of the impetus for doing this now uh we're also entering the fall which means football basketball and hockey as well as you know the exciting end of the baseball season and and the baseball playoffs which i love Mm -hmm. um but just to tease it matt is a sports reporter for the cape cod i always forget was cape cod times what's it cape cod times that's yeah yeah cape cod times so we're going to talk about Olympics and a couple things, and then I'm going to do a little mini-interview with Matt. I've never actually interviewed him before about his um, career, or at least just some aspects of his career as a sports reporter. And then we'll uh, end with some more topics and, and maybe some fun games and, and joke around a little bit. Um, sound good? 
Sounds fantastic. All right. So Olympics 2016 came and went. Um, I, I think the, the two biggest non-sports related stories to come out of the entire thing uh, are the uh, Ryan Lochte situation and the Zika virus. Um, Matt, you texted me right before we came on. Um, uh, that th- there may be new developments with Ryan Lochte. Could, for the Bizzlecast listeners, could you give like a 20, 30 second description of what we thought happened and maybe now what we think might have or might not have happened? All right. So the original story was Ryan Lochte, a multi-medalist winning United States swimmer and some of his friends. The story they told is they went to a bar or something, they they partied for a while, and then they got robbed at gunpoint by people posing as police station, as police officers. That was their first story. They stuck to it. It lasted maybe 48 hours before things like video and witness reports changed to something more along the lines of these guys showed up drunk at a gas station and wrecked it in some capacity Uh, They broke things in the bathroom, they tore up some posters and whatnot, got belligerent, and then maybe somebody did point a gun at them but was actually a security officer. Now it's being reported that the official version of the story that the Rio police have uh, put out may also have problems with it. Suffice it to say, I think it's pretty hard at this point to definitively have an opinion of what did or didn't happen. I think it seems pretty clear uh, Ryan Lochte and his friends got drunk. I think they did wander over to a gas station and probably committed some minor act of vandalism uh, and then came up with a terrible idea to try to cover their asses that blew this whole thing way, way out of proportion and didn't need to be this big a deal, but they kind of brought that on themselves. I mean – The U.S. men's basketball team was photographed with several members inside of a brothel in Rio, and that didn't cause the stir this has caused. That totally happened, by the way. People forget that, but that was like a story from like the third day of the Olympics. Yeah. Uh, Well, as someone who went to uh, and spent some time in Brazil, uh, brothels are a little bit more ambiguous than they are here. (laughs) Um that's, That's what, what they said too. Is we thought it was a spa. Yeah, sure. I'm, tell- I'm telling you, man. I, it's just yeah, the sexuality in the country is a lot different than here. Also, I'm not defending it. I'm just saying it's you know, there's some other stuff going on. As long as women aren't being abused, that's the important thing. Um, but I, okay, well, so if Ryan- any of them are married, their wives are probably pissed <laughs> off. But I mean, whatever. Yeah. Didn't that happen to Patrick Ewing a long time ago? I'm having a I've- flashback. I feel like there, the amount of adultery that happens in professional sports, I don't have hard evidence of this, but my sense is it probably happens all the time, and it's just kind of an open secret. We're going to table ethics and morals of, in sports for um, down the road, which might sure. end up being sort of the meat of our podcast when we bring in political activism, social activism, guys like sure. LeBron James and so forth who are changing the culture in a lot of ways um, in terms of how athletes are perceived and, and how they want to be perceived. So I, I will say, Ben, I have a friend who is uh, like a nationally ranked swimmer. Um, okay. and he's a huge douchebag. 
And <laughs> he said Ryan Lochte is a giant douchebag. I mean, this was four years ago in the previous Olympics. Mm-hmm. So if this guy says Ryan Lochte's a douchebag, he must he's like a triple douchebag. <laughs> um, you know, and so I just remember shaking my head when this happened, being like, oh, God, it's just Lochte doing Lochte again. But uh, so... It can't be a coincidence, even if there are mixed reports, that this guy was involved in something, right? I mean, there's there's no way he was telling the truth, even if it wasn't an outright lie, right? Yeah, that's that's basically where I go with it. And I really – his excuse that I was drunk, okay, fine. But there is such a kind of conniving manipulativeness to the story he came up with that I can't believe the ideas that kind of led him to think this was a good idea. He didn't believe sober, basically, you know, this idea that maybe I can get away with this by playing to Americans preconceived notions that Rio was dangerous. I, I don't know how the hell he came up with this plan. And I don't know what he thought was going to happen after he said this. Did he think people were just going to be like, Oh yeah, Rio's dangerous. You're obviously right. I mean, of course, when you accuse police officers of robbing you or of being impersonated and, and the impersonators rob you, there's going to be an investigation yeah. and they're going to go by more than four Americans testimony. OK, so this is this. I'm sorry. This is a good question, which is, you know, you and I have debated and everyone has debated, you know, should athletes or are they role models? Should they be role models and are, are they? Um, to kids. They are and they shouldn't be. Right, they are and they shouldn't be. Um, But I would argue that Olympic athletes should carry a little bit more burden um, in terms of being role models because, first of all, it's on the international stage. So when stuff like the Ryan Lochte or the brothel thing happens, it makes us look terrible. Even though they're just individuals, let's not forget Hope Solo, uh, again, being a sore loser and just not being able to shut her mouth, uh, yeah. even, though I, even though I love the women's soccer team. And, and yeah, I actually, but Hope Solo is not a good person. No, he's not a good person. Um, but uh, So you're in the international stage, uh, but on top of that, you know, especially if you're like a runner or you're in like one short swimming event, like your actual participation could literally be as short as 30 seconds. You could, yeah. tra- you could train for four years, go through all the hubbub, trying to find sponsors, getting flown down, doing the whole thing, marching around, fl- waving the flag, getting dressed up, and then, uh, uh it's over. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's 10 seconds if you run the 100-meter dash. Jerry Seinfeld has a great... Um, has a great series of jokes about uh, the, the the medals of uh, of the Olympics, and he talks about like he says, "Well, you know, you go down there to get the gold, and if you get the bronze, at least you got something." So you know, he's arguing the silver medal is actually the worst because it's like you know, gold medal, greatest guy in the world, silver medal, never heard of him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's actually some psychological evidence of this that e- even outside the Olympics, people who place third tend to be able to look more positively at their experience than people who place who get a silver because the ones who get silver have to live with the idea that they were that close to winning gold. Um, Especially if that's the only medal you win. Yeah. Now, frankly, I think to win a silver medal in the Olympics against the best people in the world, that means there's, you know, what is there, 8 billion people in the world and one is better at the sport that you do than you are. 
that's still really amazing. And one thing I liked about NBC coverage is they did celebrate people who won medals that weren't gold. You know, they they did a very good job of promoting meddling at all as a an extreme positive and success. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it just depends. You know, and first of all, just being there is a huge honor. And this is what I was getting to, which is that, you know, you shouldn't be compelled to do, I mean, you have to maintain the law in a certain ethical code. But I do think that Olympic athletes, because it's the international stage, do have a little bit more responsibility, whether they like it or not, whether you like it or not, to be, if not role models, and at least represent your country well. Like, for example, you know, take Allen Iverson. who we who we love in philadelphia but like there was never a case where like oh my god you know alan iverson is making philadelphia the city look horrible you know like when it's just players who are jumping around who have no actual connection to the place other than playing for the teams there you know do you see what i'm saying here they're actually representing the place but in terms of the medal thing it really just depends like one of my favorite olympic um uh, Olympians um, in the Winter Olympics, uh, Julia Mancuso, mm-hmm. um, who is constantly, in, you know, in the shadow of Lindsey Vaughn, um, right? It won a uh, a gold in I think '06, mm-hmm. um, and then has won I believe like three or four silver medals and three or four gold medals, something like that. I mean, right. uh, uh, bronze medals. Um, so, you know, it's, you get the gold out of the way and then a- a- everything you take after that, you know what I'm saying is, uh, is gravy, but it is interesting that, you know, we roared the top three. If you're fourth, you get nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so let's jump into the, the, the meat of the Olympics. I- I'm going to admit right off the bat, I did not watch a lot of summer Olympics in general. I don't even like individual sports. I'm a team sports guy. Um, and so the soccer was really the thing I was mainly focused on, uh, more so the, the women's than the men. Uh, and I want to talk about this, uh, in a minute about men's versus women's, also women's basketball. Uh, the Olympics is great. You know, the men's basketball, you know, is going to win and the men's soccer, you know, is not going to win. So really the women's team sports. Well, are the win, men's win soccer don't even qualify and the women's yeah. basketball, you know, they're going to win the men. The yeah, U S has not true. had a men's soccer team in the Olympic tournament in two Olympics now, because it's not your World Cup team. You have to be uh, 23 years old or younger to participate on the Olympic men's side team, and the U.S. cannot field a U23 team good enough to qualify for the Olympics. Which begs the question, why doesn't the NBA do the same thing? Uh, what do you mean? Or I'm sorry, why, why doesn't Olympic basketball have the same rules that you have to be under 23? It would be so much cooler. Honestly, because the ratings value you get by being able to have an Olympic tournament with guys like Kevin Durant in it is way, way, way worth the competitive imbalance of uh, that you get when you do that. But there, um, are, there, there are under 20, 23 and under stars in the NBA that people would see. Not as many as you think. Yeah. And probably not enough. Like Most of the teams now have at least one or two NBA players on them, but France's big player was Tony Parker. Tony Parker would be way too old to participate. Right. Pau Gasol for Spain would be way too old to participate. Right. Um, you, you want the NBA people so that people have a reason to watch those games. I mean, the best thing that ever happened to Olympic basketball from a marketing perspective was the 92 Dream Team. Yeah. I mean, and you couldn't go back after that. Right. And or so, or yeah. was it 88? Which, whichever one it was, the first one. Uh, you the know, first Dream Team, I believe, was actually 92. 
Okay. Because um, it was after it was after the Magic Johnson uh, AIDS uh, reveal, which hadn't happened yeah. yet in '88, I believe. Magic Johnson uh, uh, came out in 1990, and then they, you know, he played in the All Star Game famously in '91. And yeah, then, that's correct. I looked it up. Yeah, it yeah. was the '92 men's uh, Olympic basketball team, and it, those games were total blowouts. Yeah. But everybody wanted to watch because it had. Michael Jordan and Larry Bird and Scottie Pippen and, you know, Charles Barkley and Magic. I mean, these are the some of the greatest players ever. And team people on other teams, while they were getting schooled, were telling their teammates, take a picture of me because I'm being schooled by Michael Jordan, you know. Yeah. And, and, and the one thing that saves the men's basketball today is that even though it's all superstars, the superstars who carry the team are not always the best players among the superstars. Like Carmelo Anthony is amazing in international competition. And yeah. I have friends who are Knicks friends who are who lose their minds every time Carmelo plays internationally and, you know, drops however many and just takes over the game. And they're like, why the fuck can't you do this for us in New York, you know? But he plays with all these great players, and it's like, you know, he's like fucking Kevin Durant playing with these players. It's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And he has a reputation in the NBA of being kind of a a locker room cancer, kind of. He's hard to work with. He's very selfish. And somehow he gets over that for – FIBA, which doesn't make any or, or Olympic basketball, and nobody quite understands why. Um, but at the same time, Clay Thompson had a great Olympics. He plays for the Golden State Warriors. He is certainly a star. Kevin Durant was amazing. Yeah. Um, so let's jump I think, to. Oh no, sorry. Go ahead. What I was going to say is, uh, baseball, the Olymp- as an Olympic sport, went away, and it's probably going to come back. And I really think one of the best things they could do is take a break from the Major League Baseball for a week and let pro baseball players go play for their countries. Totally. Way better than the All-Star break. Have that – yeah. Sure. I mean the NHL, that's what they do, and it works um, because the Olympic hockey tournament is a great tournament that's really fun to watch. Yeah. Um, I mean if baseball just cut 20 games out of the season, maybe we'll get back to this. They cut 20 games out of the season, they could expand the playoffs – play in the olympics and still have time to play and still have you know time to spare they don't even need to do that they would need to cut six games maybe or push the playoffs back a week and that would basically make up for it the olympic tournament does not take that long to wrap up okay so i want to talk about women athletes because they've been dominating as of late yep um and this is also the case in the winter olympics i mean i don't have the numbers in front of me but, you know, the American women's uh, skiers uh, do often do be- a lot better than the, the men's American skiers. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we jump into winter uh, uh, women's athletics, let me ask you the big question about the Olympics in general. Okay. Should we really care? <laughs> I mean, what's, what are really the stakes here? You know, what, what's really going on? Well, when you ask that question – you have to acknowledge if you don't think sports matter, then it's hard to make a pl- uh, case for why any sporting competition matters. Um, I think the Olympics do matter because that is the high, the pinnacle of competition in all except maybe seven sports in the world. I mean, basketball, hockey, football, baseball, soccer, rugby, cricket, maybe outside of those sports, the biggest competition is the Olympics. 
the greatest swimming achievement is to win an Olympic gold medal. The greatest track achievement is to win an Olympic gold medal. The greatest volleyball achievement is to win an Olympic gold medal. The greatest skiing uh, accomplishment is to win a gold medal. Nobody cares who wins the, the series title for, for skiing, for the different skiing events every year. That's what it is. So if you like sports, the grand majority of them – are going to decide who is the best in the world at the Olympics. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I guess the, the question I was trying to get to is, how many of these events, you, you sort of hinted at this, how many of these events would even be known or ever watched if it wasn't for the Olympics, especially the individual sports? Very few, which is why the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, is launching what they're calling an Olympic channel, a TV channel, that's going to be devoted to promoting awareness of Olympic sports year-round. But volleyball is a great example. Volleyball at the Olympics, is, especially beach, is one of the most popular events every time since it was first instituted in 96. The guys at 538.com, Nick, uh, Nick, Nate Silver and company, uh, did a huge statistical survey on this, and, and volleyball – um, is far and away the most popular sport uh, uh, among the individual sports. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, if you listen to the crowds... Or not individual sports, just sports in general at the Olympics. The different events, yeah. yeah. I mean, just in the crowds... So Brazil's two biggest goals, arguably, were winning the men's soccer tournament on with Neymar on PKs. It was amazing. The, the, the stadium exploded. But the second loudest I ever heard it was when... Uh, I think their names are Alisson and Bruno won the men's gold beach uh, tournament and it was crazy but while all that is going on there has never been a successful indoor volleyball league in america there are you can play professional indoor volleyball in europe if you're willing to travel and the avp uh which i believe stands for the association of volleyball professionals which is the beach league has been very, very up or down fiscally. At one point, it nearly went bankrupt or maybe even filed for uh, Chapter 11, I think, is, is the bankruptcy filing. And then it got resold and rebought and reset. So volleyball is the most popular sport at the Olympics or one of the most popular consistently. But outside of those two weeks every four years, it really struggles to just make enough to pay people to, to participate in it. Yep. Yeah, um, it, it's amazing. I mean, NBC, I think, continues to lose money on the Olympics, and they keep covering it. I'm not really sure why. This might tie into ESPN losing money, even though they have football, which we'll get back to later in our football conversation. Um, you may have to look up numbers to back that up. I know that NEC uh, crushed rate, NBC crushed the ratings for their two weeks. Oh, I mean, no, no, they no, they totally crushed the ratings. I'm just saying, I'm saying, in, they have to pay like a billion, you know, billions of dollars for the rights, and, right. but they they do it because they crush the the competition and it helps build their brand, and that's why ESPN continues to pay overpay for football because it builds their brand. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not saying it's not watched. I, I'm just saying from a financial standpoint, I don't think they make a lot of money on the Olympics. Could be wrong about that. I don't know. Uh, I'm looking at one article that's got a guy, a chairman from NBC Sports, saying they're expecting to make $120 million in profit. Oh, okay. Um, well, that's what, they, that's what they made on the 2012 Olympics, excuse me, and now they think they got a chance to top it even though ratings weren't quite as good as they were for the London games, which were a better games. Like, yeah. I don't know if we're ever going to get into this about what these games were. 
the Rio games were okay, but not super memorable. I, the London games were, were fantastic. The Beijing games were terrific. Um, I'm really excited for the Tokyo games. I think it's going to be very futuristic and techy, which I'm looking forward to. Um, I mean, they had Super Mario introduce the Tokyo games at the closing ceremony. It was pretty cool. Maybe I'm just thinking of the Winter Olympics losing money. Um, yeah. So, okay, so two two quick topics on the Olympics, and then I want to interview you and then get into some uh, some deeper issues like you know race and activism in sports and so forth. So, okay. th- so the first is summer versus winter Olympics. Yeah. I- I'm not the only uh, – th- I would say – 20 to 25% of people I know and have talked to prefer the Winter Olympics, and 75 to 80% prefer the summer. I can't really defend it. It's really an aesthetic thing. I, I happen to love that they have so many events in the elements that, like, you specifically need to be in certain kinds of, like, weather and climate and terrain. You know, I mean, the, the skiing down a mountain, you know, it, it, you're, it is, like, as close to nature as you're going to get in, like, an Olympic event. And I just right. love I love the optics of the snow and the great uniforms and the skis and just the way they film it is, you know, I find to be to be thrilling, honestly, it's, uh, for an individual event. You can't can't really do it with with track uh, for me i mean not that track isn't compelling but it's flat you know i mean they're mm-hmm. just running with skiing and anything can happen you know um and it, it i mean let's put it this way olympic skiing was an extreme sport before there were quote-unquote extreme sports right i mean right and so i love that i love that there are fewer events and so you can follow I, like i feel if i watch an hour or two a day of winter i can see like most of what i want to see um, yeah. I love that you have athletes that do a bunch of events that that are related. You know, the mm-hmm. skiers are sometimes doing three, four, five different skiing events. Right. Um, I love that they added snowboarding a, de- a couple decades ago or whenever it was. Yeah, they've really just kind of poached as much off the X Games as they possibly can. Which I'm cool they, with. Honestly, if I catch I'm the fine X with Games. Because yeah. they want young people to watch the games because they know if they don't grab that demographic, the last generation dies and nobody wants to watch the Olympics anymore. The summer games are going in that direction yeah. too. We'll get there. Go ahead and finish. Yeah. So well, I'm just going to say, on top of that, I don't ski, I don't snowboard, I don't ice skate. I can't do any of those things. Right. So it's not it's not one of these, oh, I love to ski, and so I love watching the skiers. I just love the uh, the aesthetics of it and just the the kind of the way uh, that it unfolds. Like the fact that the skiing takes, you know, a minute and a half per person. It's such a perfect amount of time to follow, you know, as opposed to like the 100 meter, which is like four seconds and it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, also, and this will be my bridge, which is that I love the uh, the, uh, the women uh, in the Winter Olympics. I love watching uh, women's um, skiing because while they never can reach the speeds that the men do, just because of their size. Mm-hmm. They're so much more maneuverable for the most part. I mean, the women cut, you know, on the slalom, the, the women can do these cuts with the flags in the way that men never can do. And just a bridge to summer, and I'll throw it to you on this topic. You yep. know, I love women's soccer. And I always say, for me, of all the women's sports, team sports out there, for me, women's soccer is the closest to men's soccer in terms of flow and just how it how it looks than any right. other any other women's sport. Like if it's panned back and you turn it on and you're not really paying close attention, like you wouldn't notice immediately 
if you don't get the close-up shot that it's women instead of men and again they have great agility they're like messy you know messi's tiny you know yep. they're they're so maneuverable they can dribble in tiny spaces it's more about maneuverability and agility and, and finesse as opposed to just strength and speed um mm-hmm. so go ahead man you can talk about the the olympic comparison uh women's stuff and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get maddie g uh, interviewed officially so go ahead all right. Well, the first thing I'm going to say is I, I love the summer games. I don't really like the winter games. Uh, one of the biggest reasons why is I like races. I like watching an event and knowing who won when the event is over. My problem with skiing is you will watch 8, 10, 12, 16 people do the same thing. And for me, Maybe if I was a skier, I could figure it out. But for me, there is no visual difference between the guy who gets down the slalom in 30 seconds and the guy who gets down in 30.5 seconds. And it makes it, for well, me, very, is very... the same thing. It's like you win no, by a nose. No, it's not. Yeah, you win by a nose. But for me, it's easier to see, okay, this guy is pumping his arms faster. This guy is accelerating here. All you are... When you go down a, a mountain, mostly it's just based on gravity... And I get that there's skill involved. I have no doubt of that. But I like being able to tell who won the thing right when it's over. I don't like Olympic diving because I'm just watching the same thing over and over again. I do like gymnastics because the different routines and whatnot are visually different enough that I can tell, okay, this one was better than this one. This person flew higher on her tumbling passes on the floor. This one landed better on uh the vault all of that stuff i can pick up um and it's visually diverse enough that it's fun to watch each different routine you have different kinds of music and different musical selections um so do you like figure skating because i hate both gymnastics and figure skating for the exact reasons you're describing figure skating i like gymnastics more than figure skating some of this is also i don't like being cold and watching the the winter olympics makes me feel cold I, that's a, a weird psychological thing. I know. Interesting. See, for me, it's the opposite. For me, it helps me with the cold when it's a Winter Olympics year because I'm like, well, if these guys are doing this in the cold, you know what I mean? Like, I, I hate no, winter. I, 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 I hate I, winter. I hate winter. Uh, and so, seeing people enjoy it, and, and again, for me, it's about going up against the elements. I, I get that you like, you know, racers going head to head or whatever. Um, but uh, you know, just the fact that that the mountain is actually you know a character in the story essentially right. is is really cool. So that would mean that you wouldn't mind speed skating, right? Because they're going I head love to head. Speed skating. Okay. I really like speed skating, short track and the longer one. Even okay. if the U.S. I, it's one of the reasons I don't like the Winter Games is the U.S. doesn't dominate it like they do the Summer Games, and we and the U.S. destroyed the competition in the tw- in the Rio Games. I mean, more golds, more silvers, more bronzes. I think we outgained some people. By, I, I think China or Great Britain was number two, probably China. They usually are. But right. there was a difference of about 40 me- total medals. It was a blowout. Um, the Winter Games, the U.S. never does quite as well. This last one in Sochi, most of the medals we got were in sports like ski cross and things that were just stolen from X Games. Uh, so they didn't, they didn't have the – you know when you win the 100-meter dash – that's a race people have been doing for 2,000 years. And when you set a world record in it, there is a real sense of history and importance to it. Um, you know, when Wade Van Niekerk from South Africa broke the 400-meter record or when Matt Centrowitz won the first U.S. gold in the men's 1500 since, like, 1904, that really carries weight. 
when you set a record in snowboard cross, I can't help but thinking, okay, but that record has existed for like, what, four years? Who cares? Next time around, there's going to be somebody better and they're just going to beat it because this sport is still so nascent. In it, or, in it. or, or you could say we were here for the beginning of it. We were here before eh. the beginning of it. I mean, it's like, well, it's like a religion. You know, religions have to start at some point. You know? That's true. I mean, Scientology. Uh, Scientology is particularly weird because it's recent, and the guy in charge is named Ron. Right. You know, you you literally have a a, a religion run by Ron. Uh, right. Or <laughs> so you know, I, I'm fine with it because I grew up with my. Uh, even though I didn't snowboard much, my friends did. We'd always watch snowboarding videos and the X Games when right. that started. And I like watching the yeah. snowboard halfpipe competition. Which I I great. think it's cool. I mean, yeah. Just overall. I don't find the Winter Olympics as okay. compelling as the sure. Summer Games. That's fine. That's fine. I, I, I just the, another point I wanted to make. You talk about you know they stealing from the X Games, which which I'm cool with. But what they really steal that's just as important is the camera work. I mean, right. there have been people doing extreme camera work for snowboarding and skiing for decades. And NBC or whoever is doing the camera operation during the the really extreme skiing and snowboarding stuff, it just looks amazing. Like even the cross yeah. stuff, you know, you might not love the cross, but just you know, they how they capture it on film, it's just very cinematic to me. Yeah, the Olympics right. has has more sort of interesting sports and more interesting drama. Um, the other thing is is skiers and snowboarders are just tend to be pretty laid back people and aren't like the most interesting interviews. A lot of Olympians are like that. You ever listen yeah. to Michael Phelps talk? Michael, Michael Phelps is pretty boring, um, in part because swimming as a sport, I think, tends to attract people who are a little bit more insular because it's a sport that's not exactly a team sport. And I think it, it draws people who like the idea of spending hours right. just training in the pool. Um, yeah, so, um, okay, man. Well, you, you had um, a couple uh, female um, – uh, athletes that you wanted to highlight, and then yeah. we're, we're going to talk Matt Goisman. Um Yeah, my my last two quick thoughts are uh, what you said about you like to see people battling the elements. I think I am just the opposite. I like a controlled environment where the only thing that matters is are you better than the people you're competing against? And I think that is one thing I like about the summer games is there are less intangibles and uncontrollable elements that uh, could throw off your performance. You know, if you are the fastest swimmer, you will win your race. If you are the fastest skier, something could go wrong with the course. There could be a slight melt or extra bit of ice, and it screws you. Now, that can still happen in summer games as well, but I think it happens a lot less. Um, Regarding women, uh, I like watching all Olympic events, and I like that NBC is pretty good about covering men's and women's sports about equally in its primetime broadcast. I can't comment on the daytime stuff because – there were so many different channels showing so much content simultaneously that I really don't know what it breaks down to. But all the swimming events for women were shown. All the swimming events for men were shown. All the big women's races and men's races were shown and given about the same degree of energy and attention in the primetime broadcast, which is good because this Olympics, the two stars of it, in my opinion, were both American women, Katie Ledecky, the swimmer, and Simone Biles, the gymnast. Simone Biles... Let me put this in context. She won the all-around gold medal by a little over two points. That is more than the sum total of all the Olympics from 1980 to 2012. If you take the 
if you take the difference between the gold medal all-around gymnast in all of those Olympics and the silver medalist and combine them, you would get a smaller margin of victory than Biles' victory over another American, Ali Raisman, who is a Jew from Needham, Massachusetts, uh, who in 2012 won a gold medal on a floor routine she did to Havana Gila, which for people who don't know, is kind of called the, the unofficial Jewish national anthem. So she is one of my favorite gymnasts. She is an amazing gymnast. And Simone Biles beat her and by extension, everybody else by a ridiculous margin. She won four gold medals and a bronze out of five events that she competed in. Just a spectacular performance from who I think might be the best women's gymnast, maybe the best gymnast ever. Katie Ledecky, freestyle swimmer. Just if you didn't watch her race, you miss seeing something spectacular because she didn't just win gold medals. She destroyed gold medals. She was winning races where in primetime events, they have the yellow line that's the, the pace you would need to go to beat the world record. She would beat the world record by a, a second or so, you know, a cup, two or three body lengths. And then everybody else in the competition would be a further four or five body lengths behind that. She was winning races by half a, a lap or two. She owns the top like 10 or 12 times in multiple freestyle distances. And she has won at every distance from 100 to 1500. This is, there's never been a swimmer like this in terms of sheer dominance at that range. Usually swimmers who are 100 people, maybe they'll swim the two, maybe the four. Michael Phelps did win a couple of golds in the 400 individual medley. Nobody can do what she does where she can win any distance from 100 to 1500. And I think she's actually going to get better in the coming years. So, I mean, her performance was just ungodly. She is so good that NBC ran out of things to say <laughs> about her. And so they had to start comparing her to men's swimmers who have dominated, which is unfair. One person compared her to the horse secretariat who did win by a large margin, but is a fucking <laughs> horse. I mean, People ran out of ways to say she is the greatest swimmer on the face of the planet right now. Um, and it was really just mesmerizing to watch her and Simone Biles perform. Um, they were better than Usain Bolt, who got a lot of attention for winning all three races. He's now 9-0, and basically, in Olympic finals, which is impressive. And Michael Phelps, who won five gold medals and a silver and is beyond a doubt the greatest Olympian of all time, what Katie Ledecky and Simone Biles did was even more impressive. Um, so it was great watching the Olympics just to watch them. Um, so, Matt, you are a sports reporter. As I said, we talked about it for about three minutes in our first podcast. And, and uh, in fact, I, I was comparing entire superhero movies to athletes. Remember mm -hmm. I compared Winter Soldier to like old school Ichiro Suzuki and the Avengers or, or Guardians to like Big Poppy, you know? Yep. Um, so maybe we could work that in. But after that, we haven't really talked about it except a little bit here or there. You're in Cape Cod now, Cape Cod Times. Uh, definitely follow Matt online, um, uh, on Twitter and so forth with, for his reporting. So Matt, so how did you get to the, the point where you're, uh, reporting, um, on, on baseball in, in Cape Cod? Now, my memory serves me correctly, and I'm throwing it to you. You had a pretty negative experience early on that kept you from doing this for a while, and then you ended up coming back to it. So why don't you lead us in there? Yeah, so that's a good memory. Way back in the day, 
I'm going to guess this was fall 2005 um, or maybe mid sometime in 2006. Um, I had graduated college, which was May 05, and I feel like this happened pretty soon after. I went to a lecture uh, that about Jewish baseball players, but it was one of the guys who was speaking was Dan Shaughnessy. He was kind of like the questioner, and Dan Shaughnessy is a well-known sports columnist in Boston who is known for a very, very negative, mean-spirited writing style. Um, and I think he's, I think it's safe to say he's well known for being a giant douchebag asshole. He, yes, but the thing that bothers me about him is that that is entirely a persona as a writer. I don't know very much about Dan Shaughnessy in real life, and when I read his stuff, I very often think it is phony sounding, that he's just writing stuff he thinks is going to get a big reaction that he doesn't necessarily believe himself. And that's fine. You know, writing, you definitely, especially being a columnist, you need to have a voice. I just wish his was a little bit more honest. But getting back to the story, afterwards, there was a, some questions and answers, and a little girl asked him what he would recommend she do if she wants to be a sports reporter. You know, this girl's 10, 11, 12. It's cool that she wants to be a reporter. Um, we need more women in this field. But, and he gave her a, an answer, a little condescending. It, it definitely sounded like his voice tone changed to speak to a kid, which was okay. But then I asked him the same question and was in a very different place, you know, in a different place in my life being, 22 and really thinking about doing this and getting into this in the next couple of years. And he gave me, he spoke to me with the same tone. It was very dismissive and it kind of hurt my confidence. Uh, and it wasn't until about 2009 that I started getting interested again in pursuing this as a career. Um, I was working jobs that were warehouse jobs that paid the bills, but I didn't necessarily think challenged me as much as I wanted um, and then I took a class in UMass Amherst, an online class in sports writing like that. Then I went to BU. I started that in the fall of 2011 and graduated, got my master's degree three semesters later. So I got it about December 2011, January 2012. And then I started my first job uh, is a professional sports reporter in McAllister, Oklahoma, a town about an hour and a half south of Tulsa in June of 2012. So I've really been a professional reporter for a little over four years. So I worked at in Oklahoma mostly as a high school reporter, uh, almost exclusively as a high school reporter until February of 2016. Um, and then I took, on, took my job at the Cape Cod Times in 2000, in uh, March of this year, basically, uh, I'm sorry, March of last year, 2015. Excuse me, I've been here for over a year now. Wow, time go goes by quickly. And it's still a lot of high school sports, but I also get to cover the Cape Cod Baseball League in the summer, which is the best amateur baseball league in the country. There are upwards of 200 ex-Cape League players drafted every year. I mean, sometimes it's as many as 200 and like, 75 you know we have had multiple cape leaguers go in the top 10 of the first round of the draft we've had a couple of top of number one draft picks a couple of number twos um it is a, a, a showcase of people who will be playing at major league baseball within five years 
Um, it is a very intense, very high quality mm. league, and everybody mm. can pitch 95 and hit 450 foot homers. It, it's really high quality baseball. How did you end up in in uh, Oklahoma specifically? <laughs> I've always been wondering. This. Sure. So. I had a hunch even before I started at Boston University that I was going to have to move to some small town for my first job. And then the second I got there, orientation day, my professor started saying things like, be prepared to move. We will help you find a job, but you should not expect to get your first job in uh, Massachusetts. You know, you're not going to be covering the Red Sox right out of college um, in most cases. If you do, if you go the TV journalism route, I think it can be easier to get a higher market sooner. But I wanted to be a print guy. You know, I like to write. Um, and so there's a website called journalismjobs.com. It's kind of the industry standard, especially for starter jobs or, or second jobs in your career. And I spent about six months applying for jobs. And I applied everywhere from Alaska to the Virgin Islands, literally. Um, not every state, but I applied for jobs in Florida, California, Georgia, Arizona, uh, New Hampshire, I think, Connecticut, um, Utah, Montana. And finally, after six months, I got one positive response to an inter- to a, um, a resume that I sent in. They asked me to file a story off a TV game, basically watch it, write a game, or file it within a certain amount of time. Um, I, wa- I picked a softball game of it was I think it was Texas versus Texas A&M. Texas is a big uh, is a conference rival of the University of Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, which are Big Twelve schools. I mentioned and that and softball is a sport that was very popular and played by most of the schools I'd be covering in McAllister. I put that in my interview, you know, in my submission. I think they liked that. I did a phone interview. They liked that, and then about two weeks later, they offered me a job, and I didn't. It wasn't, you know, a perfect thing. I'd never been to Oklahoma. It was a small town with, you know, it it was an hour and a half drive to an airport to fly home. But I figure it's been six months. I don't want to wait another potentially six months and maybe the next job offer is even worse. So I took it, you know. Yeah. Um, Okay, cool, man. Well, I have a few few specific and a few more general questions. Um, So, you know, Cape Cod isn't a far stretch from your – the earlier part of your life, I mean, you're still in Massachusetts. I know Cape yeah. Cod's not the same as Boston, but, you know. No, you but I, I came to Cape Cod with my family once, a, you know, for a week every summer as a kid. So, right. um, so in terms of Oklahoma, um, you, can, you can comment on sort of general cultural differences, but in terms of sports, yeah. um, all I know is that college football is king in the South and, and the Dust Bowl in the Midwest, right? Yes, and high school football. I mean, right. Friday Night Lights, that expression, um, which really became popular after Buzz Bissinger's book on a small town in Texas's team, um, and then that became a movie and a TV show. Um, but that's really where the expression Friday Night Lights, I think, entered popular culture and kind of the popular lexicon. Um, yeah. High school football is amazing in Oklahoma. I can't compare it to Texas. I've never been to cover a game down there, but it is extremely high quality football to the point that when I watch pro football now, I see sequences and think McAllister was doing this. This is just high school ball faster and bigger and stronger. Um, 
in Massachusetts, high school football does not have the same, it's not the same, you know, everything is a little bit smaller. Uh, you're not going to see guys who can necessarily throw 50 yards downfield um, with the regularity that some of the guys I saw uh, in Oklahoma could. Um, I'm not going to say it's not as good, but it's definitely a different kind of football. Um, and I think even some of the smaller schools that I covered in Oklahoma would give the big schools in Massachusetts a heck of a game. Um, yeah. Okay. So, okay. I have some more general sports uh, questions to ask you. Sure. Uh, uh, from your perspective, let's bookmark high school football as a lead-in to talk about football in general and youth sports combined. Mm-hmm. Um, but just a few, just a few quick ones. Who would you? Who? Who's like your? Um, I know you're not a guy to like idolize people, but like who's who? Who's a big influence on you as either a writer or just? getting into sports, you know, or in staying in sports in general? Like, who, who do you look to as sort of an inspiration or just someone's interesting that you kind of aspire to, to something similar? One of my favorite sports reporters, actually, is a woman named Jackie McMullen. Who yes, Jackie was, Mack. Who, amazing writer. I, amazing. I mean, she... She's I've, in the Hall of Fame. She is in the, yeah, the, the Basketball Hall of Fame. You know, she... The way she writes, she educates. Like I feel like I always learn something reading from her, but she doesn't beat you over the head. She's not nasty. She's got this kind of gentleness but still forcefulness to her writing that I wish I could write in that voice. I love that voice. I love it more than Charlie Pierce's ha-ha, look at me, I'm so clever, or the nastiness that somebody like uh, – Ron Borges, a Boston Herald writer who I can't stand, or Dan Shaughnessy writes with. Um, you know, she has managed to have an amazing career without sacrificing having a family. You know, she's married and with kids. And a lot of reporters that I talk to have said how hard that is to do, that it can put a strain on your marriage, that it's hard to, you know, I'm single and it's hard to meet women when I'm working Thursday nights, Friday nights, Saturday nights. Um, you know, it's hard to socialize in general, um, when your schedule changes week to week and yet she's been able to build this very rich, complex life for herself that hasn't caused, forced her to sacrifice success or family. I mean, it seems like she's achieved most of the things people want to achieve in life. Um, so I, I'm a huge Jackie McMullen fan. And there you have it, folks. Get ready for part two, uh, which will be called Bizzlecast 61.5, I guess, uh, where we really dive deep. We talk about big money in sports, racism, diversity, the state of youth sports, the rotting core of the NFL, uh, is baseball dying or flying, uh, is sports a true meritocracy, comparisons to the military, all sorts of great stuff. So tune into that, and we'll hear you on the other side. Bizzle out.